You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. All right. Today we are starting in the fourth part of our series that we've been in with the church, Unstoppable, looking through the book of Acts, and we are moving slow, okay? We are still going to be in Acts chapter 2, um, and, and this is really what I felt like the Lord um, kind of speak to me at the beginning of this series when, when this was kind of put on my heart, is that I just want to really spend some time looking at some things that existed within the culture of the church that... Listen, at Freedom, we long for this. We, we don't want to be just a church that is um, dead. We're not a dead church. We've never been a dead church. We'll never be a dead church, but we want to be a church that's alive. And so when we look in the Word of God, what we see is the model for that or, or the, the example of that. It comes from the, the, the early church that is talked about in the book of Acts, and it's really important that we begin to see some things in that. And so over the last few weeks, we've, we've talked through different things and we're going to have uh, some fun today, I hope, but I do want to teach you, and so I want to encourage you to get something to write with. We didn't have bulletins through technical difficulty this, this week, but if you have your phone or a piece of paper or write on your neighbor's shirt, I don't care, just uh, go ahead and, and, and make some notes because it will be valuable for you today. So over the last three weeks, we've talked about a couple of things, like the culture that existed within the idea of the kingdom in Acts 1 when Jesus talked to the disciples and they said, look, it, they asked this legitimate question and I've talked about this every week. And the question is still legitimate today. Sometimes we wrestle with this and we, we accidentally get into our flesh when we think about this. Because the question that the disciples asked Jesus at the ascension, Jesus is going to heaven, he'd already been resurrected, he rose again, he walked on the earth for 40 days. He taught them. And then he's going to fulfill what he spoke about in his farewell discourse in John 15, 16, and 17. Okay, And he said, listen, I'm going to go away. But when I go away, the Holy Spirit, one, is going to come. The Holy Spirit, who is God, he's going to come. He's going to fill you. And it's good that I go. So the going away part is actually the ascension. Jesus going into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father as the faithful good high priest that intercedes along with us. And so there's a very significant reason why Jesus was going. But the question that the disciples asked Jesus was this, hey, at what point in time are you going to come and restore the kingdom back to Israel? In essence, this is what they're asking them in context of the time that they existed. Hey, when are you going to come and change the government structure that has oppressed us? And they were referring to Roman rule. They were referring, referring to the, the pseudo-Jewish uh, rule that existed in there and, and, and was beginning to push down on them. They said Jesus as Messiah because the expectation was that when the Jewish Messiah, who is Jesus Christ, came, He was going to turn over the government and establish His everlasting kingdom on earth. And Jesus responds with this answer that sometimes it's amazing that so much can be discovered in that one statement that the disciples made. But until we understand, until we know, we, don't, we won't know. And the, and the parallel for us today is sometimes we ask the same question, don't we? Sometimes we look at the structure of the government and we look at things that are going on in our, our country, in our world, and we go, God, when? How long? How long? When, when, when? 
But Jesus' response to the disciples is still the response that we need to receive today, and it's this. It's not for you to know the day or the hour, but you will be my witnesses and witnesses of the resurrection when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you're going to go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, okay? And so Jesus in, in turn says, listen, don't worry about it. Because that's not the point. I've got that covered. I know when I'm going to come back, and that's a whole different sermon, when Jesus returns. I know when I'm going to set up a literal kingdom. I'm going to do that. Don't worry. Millennial reign. Don't worry. But until that time comes, you're living in a beautiful, wonderful time. And it's the time when the Holy Spirit isn't just around you. It's in you. That the living God is in you. Now stop and think. Think. It's important for us to understand this. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit came to dwell in us that man, since before sin, dwelt in the internal spirit knowledge of God. That God lived in us. Throughout the Old Testament, and even when Jesus walked the earth, the best that they could do was go and fulfill acts to try to bring them righteousness but the distance was immeasurable between their heart and the reality of God man struggled with that and God didn't want that to exist so Jesus came and at the ascension Jesus tells them the Holy Spirit is going to fill you and when he fills you he's going to fill you with the power of the resurrection He's going to fill you with the testimony of me. It's not going to be your wisdom. It's not going to be your strength. It's not going to be your power, but the Holy Spirit, but the living God inside of you that will cause you to be a witness of the resurrection. And so we have to understand that that is the culture of the kingdom that we still live in to this day. And it won't be fulfilled until Jesus returns. So maybe God has to adjust our perspective on this world. Maybe He has to cause us to see because Jesus, I'm re-preaching a sermon, but it's okay. We need to hear it again. Because just like the disciples when Jesus said that, maybe it came with a little bit of shock. Maybe it's okay to be in Jerusalem because Jerusalem's comfortable. This is comfortable. But Jesus said, no, I don't want you to go to just Jerusalem, I want you to go to Judea. And Judea would be like, honestly, Nederland. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Y'all>, <laughs> yeah, Nederland people, I'm, I'm messing. It would be like Port Natchez. Right? That's a lowbrow joke, sorry. That's gone. No, but let, let, me, let, me, let me slam a little one over you. It would be like Port Arthur. It's the same, but it, it oh, it's It's difficult. Because they're not exactly like us. And Samaria would be like completely foreign. It'd be like, again, some of you aren't going to like this. It's going to be like the people who maybe worship differently in our country. And Jesus said, you're going to go to these people. And then he said, the, 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 the furthest distances, the, the, the outermost parts... And the implied meaning within that was the, 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 the barbarian tribes, the, the people who worshipped not just differently, but they, they, they were barbaric. And sometimes when we think about that, we forget that when the power of the Holy Spirit is inside of us, then also the love of Jesus is inside of us and it empowers us. 
to not act in our own ability, in our own strength, in our own wisdom. But it causes us to act in the nature of the resurrection and display that love, even to people that we don't necessarily understand. And that's what Jesus was saying. And sometimes we can miss that. Sometimes we can, un- we, can, we can skip right by that. And this is why understanding the culture of the kingdom is so significant when it comes to looking at this because the Holy Spirit will cause us to act differently. And then the next week we talked about creating margin because, because the things of the Holy Spirit don't happen without us making room for them to happen. No matter how bad we want them or even when we get wonderful prophetic words that are so important. A lot of times, sometimes our prophetic words get stagnated because, not because God is lying or because we don't, un, you know, we don't understand there's a disconnect, we're doing something wrong, none of that foolishness, but sometimes just from the simplicity that we haven't created margin in our life for God to do what He wants to do. God's not going to kick open your calendar when He gives you a wonderful prophetic word or He speaks to your heart or encourages you through somebody or in the Word. He's not going to force you to readjust your priorities. He won't do it. That's our job. And when we struggle with that, we must lean into the grace of the Holy Spirit. And this is one thing that the book of Acts tells us. Last week we had a wonderful time, at least I did, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about that. How important that is. How necessary it is for these, these days that we live in. That that won't be fulfilled until the return of Jesus But we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit in power. And we believe in that. And we prayed for that. And some of you received that. So today what I want to talk to you about is what spiritual growth and maturity looks like when we walk with the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about the measurement of maturity. And so to do this, I'm going to kind of jump from a couple different places. Now let's look at Ephesians 4. And I'm going to start in verse 11. And I'm going to come back to this, but I'm going to make a case to you about this idea of maturity, what this means, all right? And again, I'm going to, I want to teach you something this morning, so I'm not trying to be binary. I'm not trying to just give you information, but I want, I want and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you here. In Ephesians 4... Verse 11, it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip people for the work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so here what we see is a case for this idea of maturity that we see the importance of growing in maturity that we need to be in this pursuit But it takes us understanding the Word of God and it's not something that's attained again in this idea of mental ascent or this idea of our willpower. But we have to firmly rest upon the grace of Jesus Christ. Now here's what I want to do is go to Acts chapter 2 starting in verse 42. We're going to read this again through 47. Because I'm going to talk about some of the The definition of what maturity looks like. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe 
at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, all of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who, who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I think that when we look at this scripture, what we see is a little bit of what the definition of maturity looks like as we desire to grow with the Holy Spirit and things that we should be actively asking the Holy Spirit to make alive inside of us. And so I want to give you a couple of these things that I see in the Word. The first thing that I think that we see is this, is that in order for spiritual maturity to take place, in order for us to grow in the Holy Spirit, there has to be a commitment to growing in the truth, to being conformed to the truth of the Word of God. This is something that I see here when in Acts 2.42 where it said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship or the apostles' doctrine, some of your translations say, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And I think there's a little bit of understanding because that we need to receive because the early church, one of the things off the jump as the Holy Spirit was bringing people into this movement, into this the fullness of who Jesus was. And the, before they were called Christians, they were just fo- called followers of the way. And they were coming into this faith and believing upon Jesus Christ. But the first thing that they did is they knew the importance of growing spiritually in truth and in doctrine. How that correlated to their maturity. And so this is a value that they possessed that we too, if we desire to grow with the Holy Spirit, we too have to possess this value. And that means this is that they submitted themselves to the truth. That they didn't come up with an alternate truth, but they submitted themselves to the truth as they studied it, as they looked upon it. They submitted themselves to the truth. And I want to just gently put this out, is that we need to re-engage that principle in our life. There's a lot of information that's passed in this world, but we have to, if we desire to grow with the Holy Spirit, we have to reconnect with the truth of the Word of God and submit ourselves to the truth. We don't conform the truth into what we want We submit ourselves to it and we are conformed into the image of the Word of God, not vice versa. We can't make the Word of God say what we want it to on any spectrum, any side, or any any type of tilt. We have to be conformed into what the Word of God is. And here's why they did this. It's because they proved it and they tested it. They saw it through the power of the resurrection. So the doctrine and the teaching that they were talking about directly related to the the, the resurrection. That Jesus is both Messiah and He is Lord. And they talked and they talked about that. If He is Messiah that has been promised in the Old Testament... And He is Lord because He has been resurrected from the dead. He did what He said He would do. Then He must be served. But they saw that. And the doctrine that they were talking about weren't just empty words, but they were life-giving truth that they tested and they proved. 
But they didn't just test and prove it through the resurrection. They tested and proved it through their personal journey. Is that they walked out and the book of Acts is filled with these wonderful, beautiful stories of how they began to step out and test the doctrine of the lordship of Jesus with the people that they would have an encounter with. I think about this in Acts 3 where Peter and John are walking to the time of prayer. About three in the afternoon, the Bible tells us, and they see a a lame man. And they would be strategically placed out in front of the temple because they knew that everybody was going to pray. And it makes sense. It's a logical thing for somebody who existed on benevolence to put themselves out in front of a place that they knew people would be coming, but especially a place where maybe they knew that their hearts would be compassionate. And they looked at Peter and John, and the lame man held up his cup for some alms, for some coins. And what does Peter respond to this man with? Silver and gold have I not, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. What is he saying? He's saying that the doctrine of Jesus Christ is that He rose again. And if He is the resurrected one, He is the healing one. So it was tested and proved what happened to the lame man. He got up and walked. That's right. That's awesome. So it wasn't just something they talked about. It's something they walked out. And in order for truth to be conformed in us, for us to be conformed to the image of truth, that we have to know it, that we have to study it, that we have to be in it, that we have to submit to it, and you won't submit to it if you don't know it. But you have to live it. You have to test it by faith and watch it come alive. The second thing that they, as they grew in this knowledge of truth, and it wasn't just through the word, but it was also through the impact of community that they had. And this is where the scripture in Acts 2, 42 says this, through teaching and in fellowship, or and to fellowship. And so they understood the impact that community had upon their spiritual maturity and their growth. And so what they did is they submitted themselves to one another in love and in Christ. They knew that there were no lone rangers in this new journey of faith called the way. Those who believed in Christ. That they had to come together because they grew together. And this is what we just read in Ephesians 4. Is that God has knit us together. There's no individuals in the kingdom. There's no eyes and team. I'm just sorry, that was super cheesy. All right, again, I wanted to see if you guys are laughing. Wait. And a lot of times what happens is this, is that sometimes we feel that way. And, and even if we don't believe that, or we say we don't believe that, we conduct our life that way. Is that we, when we go through hardships, we isolate ourselves, we pull back, we, we guard things because maybe we've been hurt. And, and, and shame on the church. If you've ever been hurt in the church, I'm sorry. I'm not a representative for the whole church, but I, as, listen, if you've ever gone to another church, or, or God forbid it's ever been in this church, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because the nature of what 
the Holy Spirit was conduct, uh, constructing in, the, in this idea of the church and, this, and as we pursue maturity is this, is that this is a safe place. And it's a safe place because this is where God has knit us together. He knew exactly who needs to be in, in a particular fellowship for the growth of each, each member. And so the way that that works is by us submitting to one another. Meaning this is that I'm going to let you in my life, but the reason or how that works when I choose to become vulnerable with you is that the understanding is that I'm not, I'm submitted in love to Jesus. So I'm going to treat you the way that Jesus treats you, not the way that I want to react. I'm not going to give you encouragement based through my wisdom. I'm going to listen to the Lord in your behalf. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to encourage you. If I need to kind of give you a swift kick in the butt, it's going to come with a quick hug. Right? And so how that gets messed up in the church is this, is when we forget one of those things. When we become all love, honestly, sometimes we get a little sloppy. But when we get all truth, we get mean. We get legalistic. We, part, we begin to put burdens on people. But when we walk in truth and love, the only burden that we put on somebody is the yoke of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay. So they saw this, but more importantly, they made time for it. Now this is what I want to just present to you just in love as, as we all seek to grow in the maturity of the Holy Spirit. And you want to because you have been called into this. And it's beautiful. And this is where you're going to find joy. In life. What I want to submit to you is this. Is that we have to get back to making time for the relationships that count. When this is healthy, you need to make time for it. So everybody here gets a gold star because you made time for it today. (laughs) It's not just Sunday mornings. It's the fellowship. It's the connection that we have, not even in the times that we corporately meet together, but the the connection that we have in each other's lives, you have to make time for it. You have to make time for it. If you want to grow into what God has called you to be, the first crutch and excuse you have to kick out is, I don't have time. I love you. (laughs) I'm your pastor. This is my job. All right? But we have to kick that crutch out because we have to make time for the relationships that matter. And the early church knew this. They weren't going to grow alone, but they were going to grow in the context of Christian community. And Christian community looks like this. We love God and we love people. We're submitted to the truth of God and we're submitted to the truth of what God is doing in each of our lives. All right? So the second thing, or third thing is this, in, in, this, in this act of maturity, is that they kept the center of the relationship around the resurrection of Christ. And this is sometimes where we miss, we, we, we don't see this when we look at the Word, but there's a, a significant phrase here in Acts 2.42. And it says this, to the breaking of bread. And this isn't just a meal, but this is a meal centered around Jesus Christ. This would be communion. The communion meal. And it would have been celebrated sometimes like a dinner, like a, a full meal. But it was centered around Jesus Christ. And why this is significant is this. is because there's a difference 
between what community looks like in the world and what community looks like in the church. See, we don't just meet to meet. We don't just meet around things that we like to do. Yes, we should like each other and hopefully we love each other. That's the goal. But there's a greater purpose. And the greater purpose is this, is that when we come together, we glorify Jesus Christ. That we glorify and represent somehow the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That there needs to be the nature of the resurrection in everything that we do. And that may come out through something that is shared. That may come out through a time of prayer. That may come out even through empathy. That may come out through study. That may come out through encouragement. But it has to come out. Because the centrality of our relationship and our maturity is centered around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the early church saw that. So when they got together and they shared a meal, they would sit down and they would remember the body. That's the blood. And the body. And they would take it and they would thank Jesus for bringing them together. They would thank Him for the resurrection. They would remind themselves of the doctrine of His Lordship, that they're submitted to Him. They would thank Him for sending the Holy Spirit. They would remind, him of, remind themselves of the redemption provided through the body in the blood. And they would remind them, themselves that this is what seals us together and keeps us heading toward Him. And there would be encouragement that would flow. There would be prayer that would flow. There would be study that would flow. There would be empathy that would flow. There would be conversation that would flow. And if we're going to grow in our relationship, we have to, in our maturity, we have to put Jesus at the center of our relationships. I have a pastor, a youth pastor I grew up with, um, and he always does this. And initially it bugged me because I would just call him up and see how he's doing. And we would, he's a pastor and I'm pastoring and we, we would talk and talk. But every time when we get off the phone, he goes, Andy, let me pray with you. And sometimes initially I'd go, oh, all right, go ahead. <laughs> I'm just being honest, guys. Come on. You know, give me a little bit of a break, all right? <laughs> go, go ahead and pray. And he'd pray. I'd be like, Amen. Goodbye. The Lord started speaking to me. He said, Andy, I put him in your life and I put you in his life. Who's the consistent? <laughs> I am. And as we begin to conversate and he pray, I begin to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, can I pray for you now? Why? Because the centrality of our relationship is centered around Jesus. And we have to put Jesus in the center of our relationships. And when Jesus is in the center of your relationships, I promise above all things, it's going to be easier for Him to be in the center of your life when you're in your workplace, or you're at the gas station, or you're at Starbucks, or the Avenue Coffee Shop. Plug. Guys, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying, all right? Okay. And then the, the, other, the last thing is this, is that they saw, is that they knew that they devoted themselves to prayer and they knew that the key to supernatural power was held up in prayer. And there's a couple of prayers that they prayed regularly that, that 
I want to submit to you, if we're going to grow in maturity that we have to take on, is that we have to pray for the Holy Spirit to move regularly in our lives, in our situations, in our workplace, in our community. They prayed regularly to stand up to opposition, adversity, the things that they faced, to have courage in the midst of these. And that's a prayer that we need to take on, not just for ourselves, but for one another. They prayed for each other's needs regularly. When there was a need, they prayed. They didn't go into a brainstorming meeting, but they prayed. I've said this before, but I thank God for this. Man, I thank God for this. And it's a conviction to me today. I had a mom that when I got sick or I hurt myself, she didn't reach for the band-aids right away. She, she got band-aids and she got medicine. And she took me to the doctor in case some of y'all are worried. <laughs> I didn't grow up in a cult. But she would always stop and say, let's pray. Let's ask Jesus to heal you. Let's ask Jesus to, to come in this situation. I'd be like, get me the band-aid, mom. <laughs> I'm sick. <laughs> She's like, let's pray. They prayed over their needs. They prayed that the gospel would be spread. They prayed for the encouragement of the saints. All throughout Paul's epistles, you see that prayer over and over and over again. They understood the power that prayer held in their spiritual maturity and their journey with the Holy Spirit and growing them into what God had called them to. And again, church, we have to return to prayer. We have to return to prayer. In our personal lives and corporately, we have to return to prayer. Nothing that God is going to do will He do without prayer. He asks us to believe and to trust Him. All right. I want to dig into... Let's see where I want to go. All right, I'm going to skip these other two things. I'll come back to them next week, but I want to dig into one other thing. Justin, come on up, man. If you'll let me just uh, switch gears just a little bit. There's a ton that I wanted to talk about today. But I want to talk just for a minute about some of the qualities that need to exist within the church in order for us to grow spiritual, grow in our maturity and grow with the Holy Spirit. I want to stir your hearts with this truth. And I want to go back to Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 13. And here's, here's why I'm doing this. is because I understand that in part that we all need to take the position of inviting the Holy Spirit in our life to begin to grow spiritually mature. And those things I talked about today are all things that we personally need to take, take a hold of, and begin to ask the Holy Spirit to help us walk in those things. Okay? But there's also culture that exists within the church that we see in the Bible and the Word of God here in Ephesians that has to exist corporately, okay? And this is, this is really, really important. This is so important. In Ephesians 4, 7-13, it says this, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, When He ascended on high, He took many captives and gave gifts to His people. What does He ascended mean except, for, except that He also descended to the lower earthly regions? 
He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for the work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And there's three very powerful truths that rest in this passage that are important for every church that desires to grow people in the maturity of the Holy Spirit that they have to exist within, within the church. And the first is this. It's the truth that Jesus empowered the church, the local church, as the source and the representation of the power of the resurrection. Is that the local church is a representation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And why is that important? It's because you have to be involved in a local church. That you can't be connected to something else where you're not in relationship with people. That you have to find yourself in a place where you are dug in, investing yourself. Which ties into the second truth. That's very significant in why the local church is the source, the picture of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's what Jesus says here is that when He ascended, He gave gifts to men. And the reason why the local church is important is because it's made up of many churches. Each one of you. And inside of you, Jesus has apportioned, given a portion A gift to you. And the second powerful truth that we read here is this. Is that in order for a a church to carry the culture of growing towards spiritual maturity, each member has to know their gift. Has to grow in their gift. And has to use their gift. This is something that the Holy Spirit has been convicting me about. Is that I want Freedom Christian Fellowship to be known as a church where it's not just me. It's not centered around me or Him. But it's represented in the total of the congregation here. That the gifts that God put inside of each of you because He has, you're not just simply here to receive. That's part of it. We, I understand that, but there is a gift in you, and if we believe this to be true, that the local church is a representation of the resurrection of Jesus because He has given gifts to each of you, and those gifts have been meant to encourage one another, to grow us, so that we grow into the image of Jesus Christ, into the fullness of Jesus Christ. As we mature to that place, then that means that every gift has to come out. It has to be recognized. It has to be grown in your life, and it has to come out. And my job is to help you grow in that gift. That is what the equipping of the saints looks like. It's not for me to do it. Oh, that that sits on some of our old school culture a little bit. 
You're the guy who gets paid. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the gift of God in you is necessary and it's important. And it grows other people. And God saw fit to connect us together so that that gift could be used to grow somebody else into the maturity of Jesus. But then he structured something. He structured leadership. And this is what we see here through the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. The fivefold ministry is what we commonly call it. And this is the problem is that the enemy has tried to just torque on this and just give a terrible value to this. Oh, and if there's anything that gets up my crawl, it's this. Is that man has turned this into a hierarchy. And I want to tell you something. Those five-fold leadership Offices that we see represented in Ephesians 4. The Bible says this, and Ephesians also, that this is the foundation of the apostles. And that means this, is that they're on the very bottom. Oh, oh man. So then why are they important? Why are they significant? I'm going to give you just a couple of loose terms here. Is because what the apostle does in a culture of a church is that they build, they push forward, they keep the power of the resurrection in front of the church, growing toward that endeavor. They're stretching, they're planting. I remember times that Pastor Monty, and again, if you don't know who Pastor Monty is, he's a founding, he and Pastor Marla founded this church 20, more than 25 years ago. And we used to go look at buildings all over this community. And what were we doing? We weren't looking necessarily for just another spot. But we would go in there and we would dream. And we would say, what, what could God do in this place? And we'll tell you that has a bit of the nature of the apostolic and it's important because there's gifts of God in you that you need to link up with that and you need to be fed by that, that spirit, that apostolic spirit that blows into oxygen, into the fire of what God is doing in your life and says, go for it, go for it, go for it. You know, the prophet. And prophets are seers. And they're constantly drawing believers into a future hope. And we need the prophetic gift here. At Freedom Christian Fellowship, where that gift flows. And the future things of God can be called out inside of us. And then you have the evangelists who testify to the saving grace and the atonement of Jesus Christ and to His Lordship. But they don't just do it themselves, but they spark the fire within our hearts for us to carry that message. 
And we need that. And you have pastors who lead and shepherd and care for the nourishment of the believers. And we need that. And then you have teachers who teach the truth line upon line. Stay with me, folks. About the resurrection of Christ so that believers can grow. And all of these fit as one. They're not mutually exclusive. We need them all. Sometimes we like different aspects of these things. What the Bible says is that we need all of these to mature and to grow. What I would suggest to you is this. Is that these things are not represented just in people. But they need to sit into the culture of our church And they're going to be embodied at different times. There may be somebody else in this pulpit that's speaking and you're going to feel a touch of the prophetic that's going to come. There may be a time when the Holy Spirit moves and is leading us into this idea of pushing the Gospel outside of these four walls. And we have to recognize that as the Holy Spirit bringing in that culture of the evangelist into our church. There's going to be times that we push toward things greater than what we can see and say, what does it look like when a church filled with the Holy Spirit begins to grow and desires to grow? What does it look like when a church says, God, we want to touch a community? And we have to acknowledge that the apostolic flowing of the Holy Spirit is beginning to flow and challenge us. And there's going to be times that there's going to be people, and we have two fantastic teachers in this church. Marla, my brother-in-law Josh, and they come up and they teach the Word line upon line. And when you listen to them, what you do is you go, ah, I'm being fed, I needed that. And you've got to recognize it. And then the pastoral gift needs to flow. And some of you who are pastoral in this place... You go, look, we need more, we need, we need more, we need more. And I, here's what I'm telling you, is this, is that if it's in you, then do it. <laughs> do it. And what I'm so amazed by, and it, it shocked me this week, I saw it again this week, is that there's so many needs that are represented in this body And inevitably, somebody will stand up and say, hey, did you know about this? Can I set some meals up? Can we do something? And my answer is always yes. Go for it. Go for it. And what that tells me is this, is that there is a culture of that pastoral thing because the Holy Spirit knows what we need. And so our goal is And our job is to recognize that. And as we make room for the gifts of God to flow, as we recognize those things, as we grow in those things, and as we release those things, and as we honor the Holy Spirit and we cherish these five things that God has set up to equip us and we recognize it, what happens is that we grow into maturity. I'm going to stop here.
This is what I want us to do this morning. So I'm going to have you stand up in just a second and I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray that the gifts that exist within each of us would first begin to be understood, that we would see those things. And then second, we would begin to grow in maturity. That we begin to grow in maturity, to grow in maturity. And we would ask the Holy Spirit, we're not doing it in our own strength, we're doing it in His strength. Man, I'm so... So excited. I look up at the stage and I see all these wonderful musicians and I thank the Lord. I said, God, thank you that they're using their gifts. How many of you are thankful for our nursery workers? If you're a mom here with the kids or dad here with kids, you don't raise your hand. You can catch an elbow. Come on, guys. How many of you are thankful for our children, work, children's workers? Oh, man, that they're, they're raising up a generation of world changers. How many of you are thankful for our ushers? I'm thankful for our ushers. Even Jeff. <laughs> Jeff's one of my closest friends. I, I love that guy. Jeff loves hugs, so hug him. Hug him so tight whenever you leave. I'm thankful for the gifts of God in this church. And it reminds me of this truth that we are the reflection of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what a healthy, thriving, growing church looks like is that each of us are walking in those gifts. And those gifts, listen to me, aren't just represented through jobs that we do in the church. That's such a shallow, meaningless meaning for the word gifts. But I promise you, that if you're an encourager, you need to be at the front door in the morning. And you need to use that gift of encouragement. If you're somebody who's an intercessor, then you need to be interceding your guts out. If you're somebody who's an encourager, then you need to find the places where there's a need, where you see somebody as a Holy Spirit just highlights, and you need to have a little bit of courage, and you need to walk over to them and go, hey, I just want you to know that I love you, and I'm praying for you. Is there anything I can do? And as those gifts flow, we grow. Let's pray. Why don't you stand to your feet? Father, I thank you this morning, God, that we desire, as a statement in this church, Lord, that we desire to grow into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, Holy Spirit, you help us to grow in that place, and when there's areas of our life that need to grow in maturity, whatever it is, God, if we need to be conformed into your image of your word, if we need to grow in community and make time for that, put you in the center of our relationships or as we all need to dive deeper into prayer. Holy Spirit, we ask that you give us the strength and the grace to do that. We know that we can't do that in our own ability, in our own wisdom. But Holy Spirit, we invite you to change us, 
to empower us, to grow us. God, I'm asking you also in this church that those three very powerful principles, the revelation that you've given us in your word in Ephesians 4 would sit in this church as a culture. God, that we would recognize this place as a reflection of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we truly would be that reflection as every gift that you have given each individual. Lord, just comes as understood as we grow in that and as we use that. And so, Holy Spirit, I want to pray this morning for each person that they would understand and know. I break off discouragement. Lord, I break off the lies of the enemy that say that there's not a gift. Now, Holy Spirit, I ask that You speak to us, that You show. And God, even as I spoke about those fivefold offices, those things that need to sit inside the church, that You've given the church to equip us, some people, their hearts lit up. And God, maybe they carry a gift relatable to that. Holy Spirit, I pray that You stir our hearts up. And as You make those gifts understood and You bring those out in us, help us to grow in those things. Help us to see people, to use those gifts. Jesus, to be a reflection and a testimony of Your resurrection. We pray. Father, I declare Your grace over every person here. Your life and Your joy in their life, I pray. Amen. 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 Hey, listen, this is how I want you all to close today. Just turn to somebody your left and your right if they're comfortable and give them a hug or shake their hand and tell them, hey, I'm glad you're here. We love you guys. Have a great, great day.